Yeah, so scaling is critical. So I think it's all about building the team, building the right team. And then you have to decide what is your skill? Like what is the thing that you want to control for your business that you think is, is your secret sauce or is your, you know, what you bring to the table? Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they invest in and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate. From co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from the very first state to declare its independence, Rhode Island. So let's talk about how you can invest in real estate and gain financial freedom, shall we? So my guest today is Eric Martel. So Eric is the founder and CEO of Martel Turnkey. He also hosts a podcast called Breakaway from the Rat Race. He purchased his first apartment building when he was just 18 years old while still at university. So he then went to pursue a job at Actuary. Have I pronounced it right? As an actuary, yeah. Yeah, okay. When Eric lost a fortune during the dot-com crash in 2001, and he started looking for ways to earn passive income and stop trading time for money, which is really important. So he started various businesses and eventually came back to his first love, real estate investing. So Eric formed Martel Turnkey, and after just four years, he was able to retire from his day job. And I know this is something that a lot of listeners want to hear how you did that, because this is the new American dream. It's not a house and two kids and a white fence. It's retiring from your job so you can enjoy life and have passive income. So Eric is a proud father and a husband. He currently resides in Hermosa Beach, California, which is an amazing place. Welcome to the show, Eric. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I shared a lot about your background, but I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, how you got started in real estate and maybe if you can elaborate also about how you were able to retire in four years. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, my first apartment building, I bought it when I was only 18 years of age. And really at that point, I mean, when you're 18 years old, you're not thinking of financial freedom or retirement or anything like that. I think maybe the millennials are more in tune to that right now with the fire movement and all of that. But, you know, at 18 years of age, I thought I had my life in front of me. And the reason why I bought the apartment building is that I had a mentor, like a friend of mine, somebody that became my friend, and then that basically was a real estate investor. But he was also, he was just a regular guy. He was a community college teacher and he had a regular job. And then he managed to build a 30, 36 unit apartment building with, you know, just by thinking about it and then planning how to do it and all of that. So he became my mentor. And then 
then I thought, okay, well, maybe I can invest in real estate. And he said, ah, yeah, maybe this is what you should be doing and kind of like look for these kinds of apartment buildings and all of that. So that's kind of why I bought it. I just, I had this opportunity to work with a mentor and then I bought this eight unit apartment building, no money down, cash flowing. So infinite returns. <laughs> but of course, it was not in a great area, a great part of town or anything like that. And I was also the property manager. So that was my first mistake. But anyway, I learned a lot from that experience, like really learning a lot about that, you know, kind of like getting your plan together and working at it every day towards your goal. I think it's very important. There are so many people out there that are keep telling you that, oh, no, you can't do that. And you can't, no, this is impossible. And that's the proof right there. Because I was 18 years old, I worked with a realtor that had like years of experience. And he was telling me what you're looking for doesn't exist. You're not going to find it. So he, he kept showing me properties that confirmed his point. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I said, hey, you know, give me those, those binders uh, in those days, MLS was not online. <laughs> so everything was printed and put in binders, three ring binders. I said, give me those things. And it was like, you know, I was getting frustrated. And so I, I looked through it. it, took me a few days to look through every one of them. And I found like three or four properties where it would work. And only one of them was interested in doing what's called a seller financing on the, mm-hmm. on the back end. And that's how I got the building. But yeah, I mean, the key here was, don't listen to too many people. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there. So you have to be pretty mm-hmm. determined to continue on and say, okay, well, this is the right thing to do. I need to keep finding that I know this exists somewhere. Yeah, I think it's a really, really good point. I think that you rarely see successful people or businessmen, you know, well-established businessmen that are going to say it's impossible. You can't do it. You're not going to succeed. Just pay attention. Those who give you advice, are they successful in the same arena? You know, if they're giving you an advice you can or cannot do, how successful are they in real estate? And it goes to anything, you know, advice on relationships. The person who's giving you advice is he or she in a good relationship because usually those people give three you times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's not the person to take advice from. And you know, a exactly. lot of you're right. I know a lot of real estate investors or aspiring investors. They want to do it, but there are people around them that keep feeding them the wrong advice based on fear or just they just don't know how to do it. And I always tell them because I I speak with a lot of them and they ask me, how did you do it? I'm trying to do it. But people around me say, you can't do it. It cannot be done. And I say, who are those people? Are Mm -hmm. they real estate investors? And they say, no. So how can you possibly give, you know, advice if you're not even successful in that arena? That's right. And this is where the mentor was very important to me because Mm -hmm. You know, you have all these naysayers, so it's nice to have a sounding board, somebody that says, no, no, you can, you can, no, it exists, it's there. Like I said, look at this guy, he bought something that worked and, you know, just keep at it. Yeah, you're on the right track, keep going. And so it's nice to have a sounding board to say, okay, I'm not crazy and, you know, I know it's out there somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, how were you able to retire in just four years? Mm-hmm. So my sons and I, basically, we decided to go back to real estate. I had been trying, like after the dot-com crash, I said, okay, I need to get like passive income. I wanted to be in control. 
or somewhat in control of kind of my destiny, what I wanted to do and all of that and started different businesses. And, you know, that was, these are all great learning experiences. We all know these. And eventually one of my son came back to me and said, like in 2014, I think he, he said, oh, you know, I'm interested in doing real estate investing. And then I kind of like, I was thinking back to when I was 18 years old and all of that. I said, oh my God. So there we go. So we got started. We started to look at flips. We looked at different strategies. We looked at wholesaling. We looked at commercial. We looked at development. We looked at mobile home. We looked at, you know, you name it. We looked at it. And eventually, a lot of the numbers really didn't make a lot of sense. We lived in the Bay Area, California, San Francisco Bay Area. And a lot of the numbers didn't make sense. I felt like I was a small fish in a big pond mm. with like lots of big sharks out there. And I would put offers on buildings and then they would, you know, the thing would just be completely throw the whole, all the, the profitability out of the window. And so I said, okay, well, we have to find something else. Then we started looking at out of state. So this was our key turning point here is that we started looking out of state at turnkey rental properties. And then we looked at basically all the markets in the U.S. and say, okay, what is a good market for cash flowing? We want to have a state that's landlord friendly. We want to have something that has some good growth, but sustainable growth. All right. So not something that's growing, a city that's growing at 5 10% and then they can't find enough housing for the employees or anything like that. We want to have low unemployment, blah, blah, blah. So we just kept looking at the criteria, the, the economic criteria. And then we identified a couple of markets. Memphis was one of these markets. Mm -hmm. Cleveland was another one. And so we said, okay, these are remote. These are out-of-state properties. So we need to have a team on the ground. So we started building the team on the ground with a realtor and making sure they have a property manager or property management company. I didn't want to be the property manager again, especially remote. But yeah, so we bought our first property and it was great. It's a cash flowing and basically it's like, well, this is, this is very good. And then we bought two after that. And then we, especially coming from California, you're looking at the house, you're buying oh, yeah. $40,000. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is amazing. And I put $40,000, I get like, you know, $300 back. This is phenomenal every month. So yeah, we kept buying, bought two more, and then we bought four more. And then, yeah, so that was our model. But a lot of our friends and family, we started asking about mm. kind of what we were doing because we had done all kinds of interesting stuff. You know, we had a gourmet sauce company. We had all kinds of different businesses. So people were always interested in saying, what are the Martels up to? What are they doing? We haven't heard from them in a while. You know, so then these people started to get involved and I said, well, I want to participate. I want to invest with you or I want to buy Turnkey and all of that. And this is when Martel Turnkey was founded. We noticed that there was a market, there was still space for a Turnkey rental provider, you know, out there that offered uh, Turnkey rental properties in, in Memphis and Cleveland. And that's kind of how we got started. Got it. And so basically you bought more and more small multifamily properties until you said after four years, you know what, I can retire. Now I have properties that are cash flowing. How do you make up your mind in terms of how much money you need to have in cash flow before, before you retire? Were you trying to match to the amount that you were making before you retired? Did you have a certain you know, number in mind? 
Yeah, so when I looked at the, the numbers, I basically calculated how much do I need to live comfortably? You know, like just basically replace my expenses, my salary that I had. So just be, we knew exactly how much we were spending. I was getting a salary and then all of it was spent on the... <laughs> so <laughs> it's amazing. You're working in the Bay Area, you make a good mm-hmm. salary, very good salary anywhere that would be amazing anywhere in the world. But in the Bay Area, it's just like you're living paycheck to paycheck. It's like yeah. it's unbelievable. I think I read that was before COVID that if you made 80 or 90K a year, you're considered low income or something yeah. like crazy like that. This is yeah, that's right. This is insane. And it's interesting. So I, I used to live in Santa Monica up to maybe a month oh, ago. Yeah. And even, I mean, 90K can give you a lot, even in Santa Monica, you might not yeah. live extremely comfortably, but it's, it's decent salary. And it's, I yeah. think Bay Area is kind of a unique situation. So you're in Hermosa Beach. I'm jealous. I love Hermosa Beach. It's, it's great. It has yeah, great, it. great vibe. And definitely you get more for your money mm-hmm. when you live yeah. down there. And I think you have better weather and more sun. So it's kind of well, better weather all than the, way. the Bay Area. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. for sure. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk but, a little bit about but small yeah, multifamily. Yeah, so kind of go back to your, your question. So yeah, basically, I just looked at my expenses. So I need this much money for my mortgage, for my taxes, mm-hmm. for you know health benefit and stuff like that, because that's something that you know was provided by my employer before. So then I have to calculate that. So I just add it all up and say, well, this is how much, how much I need to make every mm. month in order to sustain myself. And then you kind of work backwards from that and say, okay, and then, you know, how many houses, how many of these houses do I need to buy in order to achieve that? And surprisingly enough, it's not that many. I mean, a lot of the people that I talk to with 20 to 30 single family rentals, they can live off of that, Mm -hmm. you know, because you're making about $300 a month in net cash flow. So multiply that by, you know, 30 houses. I mean, that's how you get there. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And I wanted to ask you when we're talking about the strategy of turnkey properties, what makes a property a better performer during COVID? Is it the tenant, the strength of the tenant? Is it the, the location? What is it? Well, I think right now the location is pretty important. There are a lot of studies out there or articles out there about people trying to move away from the downtown core and more into the suburb. So for single family rentals, this is amazing because, yeah, a lot of people are moving out. In Cleveland and Memphis, we have no problems renting single family homes at all. The rents have actually increased in the last year. So We don't see any issues with that. We have the same criteria in terms of the tenant, how much they need to make in terms of salary or income, you know, credit score and all of that. So the same criteria, no problem finding tenant. Interesting. So that's one one aspect of it is like Mm -hmm. people want to move out. There's also the millennial component as well. They're starting their family formation right now. So a lot of them are in their 30s or something. And then they want to... You know, you don't want to be in an apartment downtown when you raise your family. So you want to be maybe somewhere where you have a backyard and you can have your kids run around and bike in the street and all of that. So so that's the other factor. 
And then when we're talking about investing in turnkey properties, I know that a lot of investors, myself included, are very bullish on value add. What would be mm-hmm. your perspective on turnkey versus value add? Yeah. So in my book, Stop Trading Your Time for Money, I have a triangle, which is a strategy alignment triangle. And basically, when you look at your goal, if you want to achieve financial freedom, there's a number of strategies that you can use. But which strategy you choose really comes down to the resources that you have available to you. And I think a lot of people, the resource that is the most constraining is time. Right. And the second one, close, you know, close second, maybe sometimes the first is money. Money. So these are the two, right? But time is an important component because if you're doing turnkey is very simple in terms of time. This is a good property. I know how much it makes in cash flow. And then I have the property management company. Boom. You know, it takes me a week or two, get things organized, and I can buy the turnkey rental. If I do like the Burr strategy which means that you buy the distressed property, you renovate it, rent it out, and then refinance. So these kinds of properties, you have to do more work. You have to kind of identify the property. You have to have an inspection to make sure everything, you know, there's no major problem. You have to get a quote from a couple of contractors. You have to find the contractors and blah, blah, blah. You know, you can kind of move down the line. And this is going to be like a six months project and it's going to cost you more than you thought. And, you know, so that's the thing. You have to really think about the amount of time that you want to devote to some of these strategies because some of them are more time consuming than others. Some of them also require, they may require a little bit more cash, but you may end up paying more in terms of time or sometimes your renovation cost is going to be higher than you anticipated, all that kind of stuff. So that's my recommendation when you choose a strategy. Well, let's talk a little bit about the process of buying a turnkey property during COVID. Mm-hmm. How did your process change, if it changed during COVID? Because now you're looking at properties probably a bit differently Maybe due diligence is a bit different. Can you talk to me a little bit about how the process of purchasing a turnkey property is different than it was prior to March of 2020? Yeah. For the single family, we haven't seen much difference, really. When we buy the distressed property, so I guess I should clarify that. We changed our acquisition criteria. Basically, now we are acquiring only vacant properties for the most part. Prior to COVID, we would acquire properties that would also have tenants in them and ask them at the end of their term to basically, you know, move out. But yeah, for COVID, we changed our acquisition criteria to make sure they were vacant. But after that, the rest is pretty much the same. We would kind of have our contractors in there. And then some of the cities that we're dealing with, they actually have what they call a POS inspection from the city to make sure that you are fixing certain things to make the property rentable and all of that and safe and up to code. So these things are stayed the same. What we've seen is some delays. We've seen delays on the POS inspection. We've seen delays on, you know, materials, constructions, and appliances. So that's what we've seen. 
that's on the single family side. On the multifamily side, that's a lot more complicated. We haven't acquired anything since the last property we acquired was actually in January. So just before COVID, so we didn't have mm-hmm. any issue. And actually we did the due diligence and the inspection last year. So there was really no issue. But that I would, I would expect some significant difficulties really to do your due diligence on these properties because you have all these tenants that you have to visit house to house, apartment to apartment. So that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Got it. Is there anything that you would do differently, let's say, during February or March, where we just we just started hearing about COVID, that you know, is there anything that you did there or didn't do that you would change now? Now that you, we understand a little bit more of the market and how, you know, how real estate is, is being impacted by COVID. Yeah. So what we started doing last year, a lot of our investors were we were doing joint ventures with them on these single family, and I think in the middle of last year we said let's switch those joint ventures into PML. Let's go for more after PML, private money lenders, so that it would actually increase our return for the company. So we started doing the change and all of that. And then, so that's the only thing really that I would have modified is that I would have continued maybe on the JV because what came down to February, March, and we didn't know what to expect. And then, so then we, we decided that, okay, we need to shift the risk or balance the risk a little bit. Normally, our cycle for a house is about three months. So from acquisition to resale, if all of a sudden nobody is interested in buying the house, and you know, if I have to pay the PML at 12%, let's say, then you know, this is a lot of money, and I'm going to end up losing money. So in February and March, we decided to kind of like shift back towards the JV to kind of balance the risk a little bit and then share it with our investors. So yeah, that's the only thing. There was a little bit of a timing issue that if we had known that this was happening, we would have stayed in JV. And that probably created some confusion with our investors. They say, hey, what's going on? Like you were JV, now you want me to do PML, and now you want me to do JV again and all of that. So that was really the only thing. I would have bought a lot of appliances and store mm-hmm. it in a warehouse. Yeah. That's what I would have done. <laughs> I <laughs> and hear the, you. We're and construction having the same materials thing. Uh-huh. and windows and all that. Uh-huh. So, but yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny, you know. It's always in hindsight. I remember from about a decade ago, when if you bought because for our properties, I was a property manager. We bought tons of solar appliances for the roofs to yeah. generate electricity. And we thought we were smart by buying everything ahead of time. And then technology got so much better so quickly that Mm -hmm. it was worth a fraction of what we paid for. And so it was just standing there, just very expensive equipment that you can buy. I'm I'm not going to say cents on the dollar, but you can buy at much cheaper price. Uh, So it's hindsight, you know, it's always 2020, but that's interesting. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Now we are in the last part of our interview today, which is a lightning round questions. So mm-hmm. question number one, what's your favorite hobby besides real estate? <laughs> I would say right now it's, but since I moved to Hermosa Beach, I would say running on the beach. So every morning, mm. every morning I run on the beach and I go for an ocean swim. So it's amazing. 
That so sounds I'm amazing. I'm the dream on that one. Oh, yes, you do. I'm so envious. I mean, I'm sitting here in in Rhode Island. It's foggy, cold, and it was raining up oh, to an wow. hour ago. So you are living the dream, that's for sure. <laughs> What's the one thing that people don't know about you? So the one thing they don't know about me is that I'm very, well, maybe they know, but I'm very analytical. So being an, I mm. was an actuary before, and so it's all about math. So I think a lot mathematically and yeah, so that's probably something that people don't know about me. Interesting. Definitely helps with real estate investing. And what do you wish you had known when you started investing in real estate when you were, you know, 18 years old? I mean, I, I would have started my passive income portfolio at the time, I would not have been the property manager and I would have got other people's money involved and start building the business at 18. Got it. Yeah, but I was not thinking about that. <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> I know, it, hey, it takes time to understand, you know, what you want to do and yeah. definitely, I definitely share that insight with you. What's your number one advice for a real estate investor who wants to scale their portfolio or scale the real estate business? Yeah, so scaling is critical. So I think it's all about building the team, building the right team. And then you have to decide what is your skill, like what is the thing that you want to control for your business that you think is is your secret sauce or is your, you know, what you bring to the table. And maybe it's organization, maybe it's finance, maybe it's, you know, raising money or something like that. But yeah, I think that's important. But building the team. And then after that, all the skills that are not core to your business, to your portfolio, then you just delegate that to other people yep. and monitor. Yep. Totally agree. Totally agree. That's the way to go. That's how you scale. Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, where can people find you and where can they see more information about the book that you just wrote? Yeah. So my website is martelleric.com. And in there, if you want to look at the book, it's martelleric.com slash book. There's also on the menu. And then you can see in there kind of like my podcast, my articles and where I write. And so, yeah, you can also find me on Facebook, eric.martel.ca. All right. Awesome. Eric, thank you again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ellie. Keep enjoying, you know, and most of each swim, swimming, swimming and running. <laughs> that sounds so perfect in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's it. You know, thank you so much guys for tuning in and listening to today's episode. Be bold, be great and keep moving forward. And I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.